Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Uh, good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon. And joining us in this edition is Dr. Lance Elliott, who writes and teaches about artificial intelligence and autonomous vehicles and contributes to Forbes.com. Thanks for joining us, Lance. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. And so happy to have you, Lance. You know, we also want well, to thank, thank you. you for coming out to the uh, Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit this month and writing about it as well. Well, I would like to say uh, just quickly, thanks goes to Alan for his incredible efforts in putting together a conference that I think is a very vital, important one. And tip of the hat to you, Alan, for the effort that you go through to bring about that summit. So thank you for that. Thank you for the sure. kind words, Lance. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, the other part I wanted to mention is to emphasize to those listening that they should put on their calendars the dates of next year's summit, May 19th to the 21st, which will be the fourth annual event of this summit. And I think it's something well worth people putting on their calendar and coming out to attend. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Lance. I guess uh, you're my new publicist. <laughs> uh, whatever, you know. Uh, yes, uh, we're going to try to put another one on. And uh, look, I don't think that we will have solved all the problems by then. So um, I think we have plenty to do in the intervening year. And we'll have a lot of fun, uh, you know, hashing it out um, next year. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great event that also allows uh, kind of a personal touch to it that people get you, you've structured it in a way that there's a great deal of interaction it's not just speeches being given and then the the theme of the mobility marginalized is a very important one so all in all that's why i'm, I'm a bit of a cheerleader for it uh, because it's a rarity i go to a lot of conference autonomous car conferences i'm constantly traveling and this is as i say a rarer event and one uh, well worth attending uh, thank you down to business. In one of your columns this month for Forbes.com, uh, Lance, the, the headline is Untold Secrets of How Driverless Car Videos Are Rigged. Be wise to the trickery. You're suggesting, I think, that, that some of those video clips are, are misleading. Not necessarily doctored, I suppose, be, because of the controlled conditions they're filmed in? Yeah, let me just uh, kind of chat about, uh, share with you some thoughts on that. And one of the aspects that I just want the public to be aware of is when they watch these videos, sometimes the video is either by kind of happenstance showcasing an autonomous car in a way that you tend to extrapolate from it and think it can do more than it can do. Or in some cases, it's been carefully edited together, editing out things like the autonomous car having some issues or difficulties or having a backup driver that has to take back control of it. So just to give you a flavor, I'll just give you like two or three examples of the kinds of things that, that people should be thinking of when they watch these videos. One is, is the video showing the autonomous car in a daylight setting or in a nighttime setting? And the reason I mention that is daylight settings are typically easier for the AI, the artificial intelligence system, the autonomous car, to be able to sense what's around it, to be able to make decisions about the driving task than it is during nighttime. At nighttime, things to be, tend to be more obscured visually, and so therefore that reduces to some uh, effect uh, the ability of the cameras, amongst other sensors, to be able to detect what's around the, the vehicle. So if you see an autonomous car in a video that's driving around during daylight, you don't necessarily know that that implies that it can also handle nighttime. And just two other quick ones to give you additional flavor of that. One is that if there's no traffic 
And some of these videos, when you watch them, you'd almost swear that an apocalypse has happened in the city or town in which the <laughs> autonomous car is shown because there's no pedestrians, there's no, there's no other cars, there's no dogs or cats running out into the street. But I think most of us accept that that's more of the real world kind of driving that we daily do. Yeah, and those are the and kinds the of things that Alan picks up uh, the second he watches these, too. So go right ahead. <laughs> Continue. Yeah. So, and then the last one I was going to mention is weather. So, uh, you know, oftentimes these videos, there's not a cloud in the sky. It's nice, dry. The, the streets are dry. Uh, again, one of the difficulties oftentimes for autonomous cars is being able to navigate in rain and slick roads. Uh, the rain also can obscure to some effect the uh, the sensors that are on the car, if there's ice, if there's snow. And, of course, humans have difficulty driving in adverse weather conditions. But my point simply is that if you watch a video that shows an autonomous car in a daylight setting, in a in a scene where there's no weather particularly and there's no particular traffic, you just have to be mindful that you're not necessarily watching an autonomous car in the sense of what we're all trying to ultimately aim for, which is considered level five or fully autonomous cars that can really handle any kind of driving situation that a human driver would be able to handle. Yes, I think uh, those are excellent points. Uh, I think that also uh, we should uh, try to um, um, present a situation that we are at the very beginning now. And that, in fact, uh, if some people really do think that uh, this, these things have to operate everywhere and in, in every situation, uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, but uh, what we should be thinking about is is to find uh, the easy situations to do that provide uh, that do begin to provide mobility. Uh, let's do the easy pieces first. Let's do them very safely, and let's be very careful as we continue to expand the the operational domain of these things to make sure that in fact the, each step that we take in expanding that domain is one in which uh, we uh, we t are certain uh, that safety will be ensured and in certain situations it happened even around here yesterday we had a torrential downpour and there were advisories uh, to take shelter and to uh, not drive uh, and so you know there are situations that occur when we can't use our 55 Chevys. Uh, so um, uh, for us to think that uh, all of a sudden these things are going to whisk us at hundreds of miles an hour through uh, 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 tornadoes and, and blizzards, I mean, come on. Uh, that's not what anybody's really working on to do. Uh, I agree completely with Alan's points and that it's an incremental approach rather than some that either wish for or think that they might have kind of a big bang approach this overnight. Suddenly we have fully autonomous cars. Uh, I think Alan's points are very well taken. It's a let's get there a step at a time and do so incrementally and safely as we do so. Right. Because uh, doing it a step at a time, uh, we can we can provide value each step along the way. And, and we should look at the at the small steps we can take here at the beginning that, in fact, uh, provide mobility to those who uh, who really uh, could uh, benefit the most from it. And my goodness, uh, if they don't get to go 
uh, during a uh, torrential downpour, I, I don't think they'll they'll complain uh, if we then get them, in, you know, to their uh, to their appropriate destination in in an appropriate amount of time safely uh, under clear skies. Uh, let's 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 make sure that we do this well and do at least a piece of this well. Uh, the future will take care of itself. And we want to make clear, too, I think, uh, Lance, that you're not suggesting that uh, these companies are, are using CGI or, or something akin to Hollywood tricks to, to show things that what, the, what they're what they're showing is optimal conditions very often. And the public might be misled using their, their own thinking that, hey, this stuff's ready for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, any video that would have uh, any kind of uh, animation, I think you'd know right away that it probably is uh, not showing you exactly a real-world situation. Uh, there are also uh, some instances where they might do a concept car, for example, where they purposely have it in a closed track or something like that. And, and in that case, hopefully the video makes it clear, hey, this is not out in the real world. This isn't a closed track or proving ground where we're just trying to try something out that may or may not make its way to the public roadways. Yeah, I think uh, also if if one looks at car commercials on TV, my goodness, um, is is <laughs> is any car commercial on TV shot in normal traffic conditions? <laughs> I think they're all on closed <laughs> courses when they're doing donuts, sure. uh, you know, putting up dust clouds in the desert and then running up, uh, you know, the Great Wall and down riverbeds and I don't know, uh, who and then. <laughs> Uh, I guess that's Madison Avenue uh, gone uh, uh, off the deep end and um, uh, trying to uh, sell us a dream in our 55 Chevys. <laughs> Absolutely. And one thing I've, I've often uh, kind of brought up is it'll be interesting how marketing changes related to cars as we move towards autonomous cars in the sense that most of the time when you see those kinds of uh, ads, uh, usually you see the driver in the car. It's either, let's say, an adult male or adult female. And the the impression you get is, oh, how smart of them to be in this car. It kind of provides a glow to them as a person. They're, they're proud of the car that they have. And some are wondering, well, what will uh, Madison Avenue do once you're no longer driving the car and it's a driverless car? Uh, we're going to need a whole new set of madmen, you know, and, <laughs> and it's going to be the ultimate riding machine instead of the ultimate driving machine. I don't know what BMW is going to do, but, but uh, you know, this, I, I think that this is where the trend is. My goodness, it's, it's not about the, the, the manhood of driving uh, like an idiot, uh, but in fact, uh, uh, the getting to some place where that improves your quality of life. I mean, that's the reason why we travel to places is to improve our quality of life. And, and let's focus on providing mobility systems that really allow us to get to those places and improve our quality of life. And along the way, maybe we'll just have a good enough time texting and as opposed to driving. I don't know. Or we'll put on the goggles, I, the AV goggles, <laughs> and go nuts. What, what do you think, Lance? Well, so uh, one aspect is definitely uh, a redesign of the interior of cars because if you have a driverless car, you no longer need to occupy the space where the driving controls are. Presumably there's no steering wheel, there's no pedals. And so now this opens up the interior in a way 
that you can do other things. And one speculation is that what we might have is swivel chairs inside of a, a, a driverless autonomous car. And you could have group-oriented meetings while you're in there in the sense of you facing each other, maybe even a small table uh, that would sit between you. And you can carry on meetings. Like for myself, uh, I commute about an hour and a half each way uh, to my office uh, where I work. And so maybe I could turn that time into uh, discussions with uh, others that are headed to my same office where we turn it into a business meeting while we're inside the car. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what does happen once we really do have driverless cars, how people make use of the time that they now would have in a car that otherwise is a driver, you're presumably pr principally occupied with the driving task. And now you can be a passenger. And what would you do as a passenger in a driverless car? Well, my goodness, once we have that, Lance, you're going to move two hours away. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Well, I, I think well, that, you know, that's that's really that's both an opportunity and an issue. And also, uh, as you say, the redesign of that interior, we should be able to make it so that it is much more inclusive and certainly inclusive to uh, uh, the mobility challenged and the mobility disadvantaged. And I think that's one of the things that we certainly focused on at the summit is saying, hey, how do we take this opportunity and, and really make it for people who uh, who really uh, haven't had uh, a good means of mobility uh, available to them to uh, live an hour and a half away from where they work or um, uh, or even just go get their hair done or or go to synagogue or you know those kinds of things so um yes it's 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 a wonderful opportunity to, to for us to think about the, uh those futures and some of the car designs uh that i've seen more of concept cars unfortunately at this point but hopefully they'll move forward to becoming real i uh, have things like uh automated ramps that come out uh, the design of the car opens in such a way that it's easier to get in and out of the car. So those are the kinds of topics I know that were covered at the summit. And that, as I say, I think we need more uh, focus on and more discussion and make sure that the automakers and the tech firms understand uh, an important point, which I know you've made and I've tried to make, which is it's better to get there now and figure out where you're going to be rather than waiting until after the fact. And now all of a sudden you've gotten a, a design that's been developed and you try to retrofit it and the retrofit's going to be just a terrible effort to try to undertake and will inhibit or just or uh, dampen the potential for making these cars into something that really is mobile for all amen and and ride sharing should be uh in in kept in mind right from the start as well yep we've got some news to get to this week uh waymo is bringing self-driving trucks back to arizona for testing for the first time since 2017, Waymo says it will be testing with empty trucks and some with freight, uh, not real stuff being delivered though, and they'll be uh, using safety drivers. Yes, okay, that's what they should do. Great, uh, Arizona's a great place to do it. Big welcome sign out there by the state and the the, the governor and so on to do that, and um, uh, that's part of um, of. Um, the evolutionary process and um, uh, let's bring it and let's really enhance uh, the uh, the environment in trucks uh, so that uh, the, the the driver's workplace is is enhanced and uh, and it's made safer 
and uh, and more enjoyable and then maybe uh, there's no longer a trucker shortage uh, truck driver shortage because now uh, trucking as an occupation is is uh, not uh, not as uh, onerous as it is today and drivers have you know if you run into people on the street and, and I have and in, in you, you talk to a truck driver they're so adamant they don't want this technology it's going to take my job away that really isn't an accurate picture, at least for a long, long time, I think, right now. I don't believe, Lance, I don't know where you stand on this one. I just don't believe it. I think that the long-haul trucking industry, the driver, performs uh, 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 other functions uh, than just driving. Uh, I mean, uh, he or she is is really a... a um, an emissary for for the company and the cargo and and uh, the value of that cargo is is very large and it can afford uh, to have an attendant and um, and have that person maybe do some other functions for the company as they're um, driving across the country and, and enjoying the scenery and the landscape. Uh, the important thing is to make it a, an easier, a less stressful and a safer occupation you know uh, being a driver is is uh, a more unsafe occupation than uh, being a coal miner so uh, my goodness um, uh, i think those uh, those employees need help and the technology can do that uh, when it's going to get to a point uh, that in fact uh, there's no one on board from origin to destination that's not going to happen anytime soon. And it's, it, it's probably not even desirable to happen in the first place. I, I agree with you that uh, it's not imminent somehow that truck drivers, human truck drivers are going to be out of a job. And I think what we're probably going to see is that uh, to your point, uh, to some extent they shift in terms of the nature of their duties and become more of an ambassador related to the truck uh, more dealing with the loading and unloading of the truck and those kinds of activities and still have them there as a driver, uh, as a kind of backup to the technology. Now, some way down the road, and I'm talking a long time down the road, what some are predicting is that you may still have a human in that truck, but the human may no longer be a driver in the sense of the requirements to be a truck driver are pr- pretty hefty in a sense. So if you could get other labor that you didn't have to invest in or wasn't as costly as someone who could actually drive the truck, that you might still have labor in the truck who acts again in this other capacity, but no longer is needed as a backup driver. So the the thinking seems to be it's unlikely for a very long time that there won't be some human presence in the truck, either the actual truck driver, the truck driver with added duties, uh, who more is uh, less so a truck driver, but still there as needed. And then finally, at some juncture where there's a human in the truck that performs these other duties and no longer uh, has that truck driving skill. I, I absolutely agree. I think I, I've even made statements like, uh, you know, they could be uh, customer service uh, uh, representatives. Uh, I think if you look at where customer service representatives tend to have their jobs in some cubicle and who knows where with no windows, can you imagine having a customer service job when you're just cruising down the open highway of America, down the interstates and with all that beauty and uh, just uh, what a, what a, I think it probably be, be a pretty nice job to have and, and might 
pay more or less, or maybe if, if you're a coder, you can write code, or <laughs> if you're on, I mean, you're going to have a pipe into that, into that truck that is so big that you'll have, you'll have uh, certainly communications and everything else to, to be, um, hey, you might even be the CEO. So um, um, uh, as you said, uh, Lance, uh, in your commute to work, uh, you might get some work done. There's no reason uh, that uh, other than driving, and there's no reason why a uh, motor carrier operator, uh, truck driver, couldn't be doing the same thing, providing value to the company in lots of other ways, as you mentioned. So uh, I think that's a more viable uh, future to look at than, than thinking that we're going to have driverless trucks going up and down the New Jersey Turnpike Um I'm not going to see it. Alan, kind of, uh, so I, I agree with uh, that, those, those comments. And then there's something else I thought maybe to bring up on this topic, if, if you find you might find this of interest, which is one of the, the concerns right now about the self-driving trucks on these tryouts or trials that they're going to perform is the nature of the human car drivers that come near to or interact with those trucks. And let me explain what I'm talking about. Uh, in conventional autonomous cars, what we've already seen, for example, in Silicon Valley, is that many human car drivers recognize right away an autonomous car that's doing a tryout or trial. And what they do is they prank it. In other words, you know that that autonomous car, for example, is going to, when it comes to a stop sign, if you're also at that same stop sign, it's going to come to a full and complete stop. You, on the other hand, can kind of prank it by just rolling up to the stop sign and not completely coming to a stop. And it will then cause that autonomous car is the way it's programmed to come to a full stop. Well, what we're kind of concerned about is these self-driving trucks. You may have human drivers that either by intent or by happenstance cut in front of the truck, uh, veer towards the truck. Uh, maybe someone's trying to, maybe they realize they see there's no human driver sitting in front of the steering wheel and they think, Oh, I'll see how good this truck is putting everyone in, in obviously grave danger by doing so. But nonetheless, you, know, you get those wild human drivers. You never know what they might do. So that's one thing to be on the watch for is that no matter how, in a sense, good they can potentially get that self-driving truck is to deal with those wacky human drivers that might either by intent or by happenstance uh, try to get in the way of the truck or cause the truck to have to do some maneuver that's just an unsafe maneuver. So I thought, I thought you might find that of interest. Yeah, I, 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 yes, it is. And it's, it's a real problem with our society and with people, you know, I mean, people play, people play games with trucks today. They, they, cut them off and so on you talk to any dr truck driver and they have all these horror stories about about uh, uh, how how other drivers behave and i guess you know the sort of the yeah the unfortunate comment what we like to make is we'd just like to see one of these automated trucks just run them over and you know and put an end to it but, you know that is kind of that you know you know people are going to be in an uproar because i said that but, yeah. but look we, as a society, one of the things that we're going to have to learn is we're going to have to learn to behave. You know, right now there's there's misbehavior that occurs without any of this automation. There's a road rage out there. There's people the people doing all kinds of whatever things and so on. And and I guess you know that's I guess 
that's part of being human. Most unfortunately, we have to we have to suck it up and and accept that. I, you know, it, it's it it would be a much nicer world if if all of us would just learn to behave and and stop being jerks. Um, but um, uh, that, 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 that's a that, that's a tough one, and certainly the, the automation, um, as you point out, uh, may or may not help. I think if we go down the road, you can you can see overpasses. What are on all the overpasses on on interstate highways the systems? They have they have you know basically barbed wire fences uh, along the side. Why? <laughs> because because I guess at some point some kid or somebody went up there and then, you know, with a big rock and just stood above the traffic and dropped it. Uh, you know, you kill people uh, if you do that. And, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, the misbehavior, um, you just don't know what to do about it. Uh, but um, I think what we need is maybe a whole public relations um, uh effort that that's focused on it look everybody take a deep breath relax uh these are your neighbors these are your friends uh you know behave appropriately and quit acting like a jerk the professor has spoken (laughs) (laughs) what are you gonna do i mean hey it is a very difficult problem okay Absolutely. It is a very difficult problem. Before we move on to the next thing, we should mention that uh, Daimler uh, is ramping up its self, self-driving truck efforts. They've launched a global autonomous group. The announcement came this week. So they're obviously uh, trucking is big business for Daimler, and uh, they're obviously paying attention to this. Right, and they they have been, and certainly, you know, a few years ago, they were sort of leading in the in terms of the development of the technology, you know, in their with their Freightliner and their Daimler truck business, and and again, I, I I think if it's focused on improved safety, there's return on investment that's available to commercial trucking to pay for it because in fact the cost of the technology is less than the reduction in the expected liability exposure uh, that the the safety increment of the technology provides. So uh, I think every CEO of every trucking company, most of them are self-insured, must or they should realize that in fact this investment makes money for them. Uh, it is a it is a cash generator to put that that technology in there, and I'm sure Daimler recognizes that that, that that's the situation that, that exists, and therefore they're going to be able to sell more trucks uh, for the reason of just the safety element of it, and then you put in the quality of life enhancement associated with the drivers that that uh, that are driving those trucks which are the CEO's employees uh, that's part of their family and making that job can you imagine how stressful it must be to, to try to keep a truck between two white lines 10 hours a day realizing that if you sort of uh, you know look away for for even a, a short time you, you die. Uh, my goodness, um, those folks uh, need an enormous amount of help. I've, I've said OSHA should be in there demanding that this technology be put into these trucks to improve the work environment in those trucks. And so, 
when you look at it that way, there's a big business opportunity for Daimler and for and for uh, Waymo and Google uh, to not take the driver out of the truck, just improve the, the quality of of life uh, of the work environment in those trucks. Um, and I, what do you think, Lance? So, yeah, I, I agree with the, the comments and remarks that you've made. Uh, what I thought I might also kind of add to it, you might find this of uh, some interest. So I always go to the Consumer Electronics Show, the CES show that takes place each year in January in Vegas. And uh, over the years, uh, the autonomous car side of things has grown and grown. Uh, this year in January, I, I did uh, chat with uh, uh, the Daimler t- people. They had there a uh, level two truck. Uh, that from Freightliner. And so I asked them, hey, well, when are you going to get to level four, level five, and what, what, what are the plans for that? And I have to admit, they were kind of cagey at the time. I wasn't quite sure. You know, I felt like maybe something was coming up, but I wasn't sure. So it was interesting to see this, uh, this new announcement. And the other thing that I was very pleased about this announcement was the fact that uh, earlier, uh, I guess it was in March, where they had said that they were going to do an acquisition of Torque Robotics. And right. Uh, Torque Robotics, yeah, it, it's it's uh, a, a, I, one of my kind of favorite companies in this space. Uh, Michael Fleming from Virginia Tech had also been involved in the DARPA activity. He yep. put together a lot of really good talent, and uh, to me, this all this all makes a lot of sense. The acquisition makes sense. It makes sense moving forward in the self-driving truck efforts. So this is a two thumbs up for me in terms of I think this has some great potential to it. I agree one hundred percent. Yep. Moving on, some things uh, from the newsletter, Alan. Uh, MIT is out with some research that casts doubt on whether self-driving vehicles will lead to profitability for companies like Uber and Lyft. Business Insider says specifically the findings based on data from San Francisco, that one market, point to a cost of between $1.58 and $6.01 per mile to operate autonomous vehicles with single occupants. We should ha- we should underscore that, and that's a lot higher than the widely used forty cents or less per mile estimate, higher than well, the cost for uh, personal yeah, car ownership. Right? Who who knows? I don't know where they. I I haven't followed up to see where they got their numbers. Uh, I don't. I don't know how it, it differs, whether there's no occupant, one occupant or, or, or four occupants, um, uh, you know, the cost to operate is the cost to operate, um, um, you know, the overhead associated with bringing in one more rider and, and into, into the vehicle is, a, is a, that's all uh, Moore's Law-ish and, and internet, so that's essentially zero. Um, um, I, um, it's nice to hear Elon's number. He claims it's 18 cents a vehicle mile. So look, there's, there's, there's a wide chasm. And as far and the stuff coming out of San, I don't know if it's a San Francisco associated because you got to go up and down hills or whatever. And who cares about San Francisco? Uh, they can afford limousine drivers themselves and whatever. We're not doing this for San Francisco. Or at least I'm not. <laughs> Lance, what's your response to that? Well, <laughs> so, yeah, the, I guess in terms of this specific study, I haven't had a chance to uh, to examine the study yet, so I'm not so sure about how they came up with their numbers. But I, what what it does spark in me is is a different topic that I find. Uh, when I give uh, presentations, a lot of conferences, people are sometimes taken aback by a thought that they hadn't considered for about the ownership of uh, self-driving cars. And, and I'll just kind of quickly kind of share that with you, which is 
assuming that indeed that the costs are low enough and that profit can be made from an autonomous car on a ride-sharing basis, uh, what this does is it opens up something that many are not yet considering. Right now, when you buy a car as an individual, you typically buy the car, and about 95% of the time, that car sits in a parking lot or in your garage and does nothing other than waiting for you patiently to come to make use of it. Now, in an autonomous car that can be used for ride-sharing purposes, that's a whole different thing. So you have to, for a moment, say to yourself, a lot of people are saying, oh, only fleets will be able to afford autonomous cars, especially if they're higher priced. But what I point out is, yes, but that's kind of confusing because the old model of how individuals own cars was they weren't making money off of it. But in this case, with an autonomous car, in theory, what you would be able to do, go to work, while you're at work for eight hours, your autonomous car is out ride-sharing and making money for you. At night, when you go to sleep, your autonomous car is out making money for you. So that changes the equation of things in the sense that even if autonomous cars are, quote, expensive, now it becomes an investment from which you can make money, which has all sorts of tax aspects to it and so on. So what I've been saying is I don't necessarily agree with the idea that some are floating, which is, oh, autonomous cars will be so expensive that only large fleets will be able to own them. I tend towards the belief that we're going to have kind of a cottage industry of people who will purchase autonomous cars. They'll be able to get loans for it because it's an investment that they're investing in, and they'll be able to make money off of it. Now, of course, the key is, going back to this recent study that you brought up, the question is, will the numbers bear that out? We don't yet know whether they will. But if they do, if there's a profit to be made, I can imagine that people would say to themselves, why can't I also make that same profit that some kind of fleet owner could potentially make? Elon says that's a very good idea. <laughs> yeah, Elon, Elon in, in Autonomy Day was, was pushing that idea and, and basically ending up saying that, <clears throat> that the cost of, of, of his car is going to be 18 cents a vehicle mile. And, and you know, I'd say if, even if it's three times that or even maybe even close to four times that, it's still a great deal. My view uh, sort of is, is a little bit different than yours on that. I don't, I don't think I'm going to want to own a, a, a car that, that I can't drive. If it's going to be able to drive everybody else around, that means uh, I can't drive. It doesn't have a steering wheel and stuff, or it has a steering wheel just for show. And why don't I just want to use uh, either your car, you have your car pick me up, Lance, or have the, you know, the, the fleets uh, pick me up, and I'm not going to have to deal with the darn thing. I mean, I don't know. Um, uh you got to wash those things. You got to, yeah, yeah, they break down. You have to repair them. I mean, they're to, to, the, 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 I mean, how did, how did, how did the madman convince us that, oh my goodness, I really want to own this and I want to compete with Lance and say, hey, Lance, I have a better car than you. I mean, really? Uh, You're going to convert the garage into an indoor driving range as well. Absolutely. I mean, no, I'll put other junk in there besides the junk that's already in there. I don't know. Whatever. Moving on here. In Illinois, the governor has proposed a $1 per trip tax on all ride-sharing trips. And Alan, something tells me you're not a fan of that idea. Well, first of all, he's not talking about ride-sharing. He's talking about Uber-Lyft. Uber-Lyft is not ride-sharing, or it's rarely ride-sharing. Uber-Lyft is is being chauffeured around. Uh, there's, you know, the amount of ride sharing that Uber Lyft does is essentially zero. 
just because there's a, another human in the in the car doesn't mean it's ride sharing. It's it's ride hailing. Now you know, it, and so as far as I'm concerned, he can put the tax on 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 being chauffeured around. Uh, but uh, but I think that uh, if it, if he is talking about ride sharing, then he has it completely wrong because uh, because anybody who's willing to ride with somebody else uh, that they aren't already related to and uh, and thus um, uh, implying that uh, there's only one vehicle out there moving them around as opposed to two uh, deserves to have the praise of all of us uh, because uh, that's the only way we're going to deal with energy pollution and congestion and we have to stop riding by ourselves and uh, and start um, uh, riding with others and um, you know just because i drag my wife to dinner doesn't mean we're ride sharing we aren't going to take two cars we're only going to go together but if we uh, but if we go with uh, with a stranger or somebody that we don't know that would have otherwise taken a car then we're taking a car out of the traffic stream and and that that is a, a socially and societally valuable thing to do and that should not be taxed and if chicago is going to tax that uh, well then who would want to live in chicago anyway Oh, <laughs> let's see that we've crossed oh off San Francisco. God. We've crossed off Chicago. Let's, <laughs> let's see where else we can go. Uh, also getting can your you attention. Well, I'll just kind of add to the topic. So first, I, I, uh, I appreciate your comment about the ride sharing as a moniker in terms of what does that actually mean? And that's something that I've kind of written about and talked about as well, and I think you've covered that well. I, I typically refer to autonomous cars rather than ride-sharing. I, I sometimes refer to them as autonomous car for hire uh, to, to point out that it's not necessarily a sharing vehicle. It could be just a vehicle that you use on an individual basis rather than on a shared basis. But that does bring up something else that you might find of interest, which is uh, in the autonomous car space, there are some states that have already kind of hinted at the idea of what many are calling the zombie car tax. And this is the idea that if it's a driverless vehicle, it's a zombie because it doesn't have a human in it. And so they call it a zombie car. And what they want to do is potentially apply a tax to the zombie cars that come into their particular jurisdiction, whether it's a city or, or a county or whatever it might be. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, the argument in favor of this by those jurisdictions is, well, they should get a piece of the action of the uh, use of these autonomous cars and therefore use that money towards presumably infrastructure, which the autonomous car is making use of. Uh, the tech firms tend to say, hey, this is if, if you want to try to stop uh, innovation, uh, tax it. That's kind of you know, the viewpoint that they take, which is let's not start throwing taxes onto something uh, until it, at least as a minimum it's flourishing rather than at the start of it. So I thought you might find of interest that the zombie car tax that some are discussing, which kind of relates to this same topic. Well, then I'd say who wants to live in those communities? I mean, I, I use the elevator analogy all the time with respect to these uh, these things. Uh, elevator is a zombie. It doesn't have a it doesn't have a driver in it. But um, I, I always like to say that how much rent you think a uh, the 14th 
floor of a uh, <laughs> tall building could generate if there weren't zombies yeah. there to provide the mobility. <laughs> and so if these communities think that, in fact, uh, they don't want any of these zombies, then maybe nobody's going to go to their community and nobody's going to shop at the at the great infrastructure that they're built and nobody's going to go to their libraries and, and their and their churches and their synagogues and whatever and great so you know go ahead tax it uh i think um <laughs> you know uh that's one way to look at it. what you should be doing though is you should be looking at my goodness uh, we've created uh, these uh, places in our community and uh, and uh, the way to actually get value and to uh, and to improve the quality of life of our citizenry is to be able to provide mobility for them to get from where they are to where to take advantage of these things and in fact um, uh, i've argued that it, that uh, probably every merchant on nassau street would be willing to uh, to pay taxes uh, to the community if if the community created a mobility system that actually brought customers to them what do you what do these communities think these zombies are going to do they're bringing customers to your community okay you want to tax the bringing of customers to your community i don't know how'd you get elected whoa <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with your sentiment, and I and I I relish how you expressed it. So uh, whatever. That. I mean, you know, I, where do these people come from? Uh, well, the problem is is that the, the society that we've created has had has been created in a way that it said, "Oh my goodness, it's up to the individual to basically um, uh, roll his or her own to be able to get anywhere." And we've created a whole economy about uh, or around rolling your own. But when you actually look at, at it, the rolling your own here is really not very efficient. And it is enormously um, uh, uh, energy consuming. It's enormously polluting and it causes enormous congestion. And now we might have an opportunity to have a system that in fact, uh, you know, we can provide uh, affordable mobility to everybody and to organize it in a way such that it's shared so that everybody can cannot take advantage of these of these uh, opportunities that are created in our community. And 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 I think if one thinks about smart cities or smart communities, uh, this is a place to start thinking about smart cities and smart communities. And it's not just taxing them because there's zombie, whatever. I don't know. Alan, in the newsletter, something else getting your attention was Man of Mobility and a report in Medium.com on its funding of Rebel Transit, which is launching a thousand mopeds for hire now in Brooklyn and Queens. They're calling this micro mobility, and you better not get in the way, right? <laughs> well, I think, you know, I love going to Bermuda and renting a, 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 a moped and, and riding around Bermuda. And uh, of course, uh, when I was uh, when I was in college and so on, I couldn't afford a car. So I had a Lambretta and that's how I got around. So, you know, and I, I kind of think that I wouldn't mind actually using one. 
but but I did put in the newsletter a, a couple of uh, videos that people can look at as to uh, uh, if uh, if Brooklyn and Queens are transformed to Taipei, Bangkok, or or some other uh, South uh, Asia, East Asian cities, <laughs> uh, they better be careful what they wish for because um, uh, it's not pretty. <laughs> And you were out with a special edition of the Smart Driving Car Newsletter this week, highlighting the June edition of The Dispatcher. Michael Senna has lots of great information once again, including a seven-page detailed summary of the Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit. We have to thank Michael once again. We have to thank Michael for that, but also I think what's what's even the best reading in there is is his uh, detail of uh, the European Union's um, in, uh, look at um, uh, communications and connected vehicles and uh, the whole uh, spectrum uh, discussion, and I, that is uh, uh, very very um, uh, well written, and, and people should should read that carefully as well as he has a number of enjoyable pieces in there uh, that, um, that will bring smiles to everybody's face. So um, uh, put that one out there um, uh, for people to enjoy. And we also want to steer people to the, to the great article that, uh, that Lance, that you did in, in Forbes.com that included some great information about the summit. And thank you for being with us. Well, it was wonderful to join you in this discussion. Uh, it's a great that you do these podcasts. Uh, I've listened to a number of them, and I realize the value content that you're providing to people. So please keep it up, and I'm happy to participate whenever you'd like to have me join you. Lance, great having you. Uh, certainly love your perspective on all this. And um, all I have to say is we still have an awful lot of work to do. We are still at the very beginning and uh, and I hope at some point we sort of restart um, uh, some driverless uh, vehicle operation under real conditions in some real community someplace. And um, hopefully the technology is up to snuff that we can actually do that and do that safely. But we absolutely have to do it safely. And hopefully we can bring some of this to New Jersey. Um, that's what I continue to work on. And, and maybe we, uh, we have some movement here. Uh, and, and finally, uh, New Jersey. So stay tuned. There's, there's a whole lot more to come. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com. Also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and more. Ask your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Lance. <laughs>